What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show that's not really about soccer. We cover lifestyle, fashion, music, politics, all the things surrounding the beautiful game, just none of the results happening on the field. My name is Louie, and I am joined here by my beautiful co-host, Brendan. Howdy. This week, we dove into the FIFA The Best Award and also the Ballon d'Or. We dove into what each of these awards mean, where did they start, where did they come from, and then we discussed what they meant overall and whether or not it matters and it should matter. But before that, we did dive into some pretty funny, interesting news for the week. With Luka Modric being the one to win the FIFA The Best Award, we thought this week was a good time to dive into this topic. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast and also leaving us a five-star review. It helps us grow, it helps us attract new listeners, and it helps us get better, and we would really appreciate it. If you'd like to interact with us, potentially get a shout-out on the podcast, and just generally see what we do behind the scenes, follow us on Instagram, at culturef.c. We post cool behind-the-scenes stuff, and like I said, we always look for input from our followers. We also make a lot of YouTube content, actually. So if you would like to see us talk about the MLS or the Champions League, we have a few different shows that we do every week on our YouTube, and you can find us at youtube.com slash treble tube or search up treble on youtube the links are also in the description below but that's enough of me telling you people what to do i'm gonna do it one more time and you guys enjoy this podcast Alrighty, guys. Well, let's jump on into our news section of this week. Kicking it off, uh, the big news, I believe, for this week was UEFA announces that VAR will be implemented in the Champions League for the 2019-2020 season. Wow. Um, You know, I think it's time to get with the times. I believe that we should finally understand that technology is going to come into the sport at one point or another and... It's going to make fans frustrated, coaches frustrated, players frustrated. But on the other end of that, it's going to make the same people very happy. Well, yeah, and it was one of those things, right? Right before the World Cup, I personally was super anti-VAR. I wasn't really sold on it all of last year. I was very critical of VAR. Um, But as we saw in the World Cup, it was genuinely quick. It was very well done. and, And it seemed like the World Cup refs really kind of got a hang of it. And it worked out perfectly fine. And I, I can't imagine that the Champions League refs would do any less uh, because they do this every year versus every four years. So it shouldn't be that different from how the World Cup used it well to how eventually the UEFA refs will use it well. Yeah, and you make an interesting point because I hadn't even really thought of it. But during the World Cup, VAR was used and I never really th- saw the game really stop and like, because I think the biggest thing we were harping on was like, it's going to kill the flow of the game. Like, it's going to kill it. But it really, I mean, there might have been one or two outliers, but for the most part, it did not kill the game at all. Right. And what a lot of people were saying, too, is that usually in those instances where it would stop the game for a little bit, it would still stop the game in general because the play, like if, if VAR didn't exist, because players would still go over to the ref and complain and bitch and moan for those same two to three minutes that the ref could be looking at the TV screen to, to, to look at that call. True, um, 
but we did uh, open up this question to our followers on Instagram. So if you do not follow us, please follow us over at culturef.c. We posted this bit of news and asked people what they thought about VAR being introduced in the Champions League next season. Uh, Adrian underscore 34 said, it's good for the sport. We saw it used in the World Cup and it didn't take too much time. Like we just said a little bit ago, uh, yeah, we agree. It didn't really take that much time, so it should be pretty seamless switch. Uh, Roman X Reyes said, it is good because Real Madrid won't be able to get all those close slash lucky wins because of a controversial call. And also not just them, but anyone, mainly Madrid though. And this is a funny note because it's true. You know, a lot of people talk about how uh, UEFA refs basically favor the bigger quote-unquote teams you know like Barcelona Real Madrid uh pretty much any of the teams that you that draw in the bigger ratings I guess it seems like they'll they'll uh try to benefit those teams so this should in theory eliminate that very good point little bias Uh, I see he's not the biggest fan of Real Madrid but you know we like your input thank you man um Ryguy 24-0 he said it's about time they get VAR in Champions League couldn't agree more and then JBJ underscore PH says, this makes sense. The day after VAR misses an obvious offside goal in the English League Cup, UEFA decides, quote unquote, that's it. We just have to have this poorly thought out tech in the greatest club competition in the world, end quote. And I, I may not share his sentiments about poorly poorly thought out tech, um, but, you know, to each his own. And I guess there's still going to be some people out there who, who aren't super sold on VAR. And, and that's OK. I mean, there's lots of things in the sport that divide a lot of opinion. Um but at the end of the day, if it makes the sport better, even if it does divide opinion, I'm okay for it. I'm you know, just it. a quick take a little history lesson here. Um, English players didn't believe in passing at first when soccer was originated. So passing was not a rule of the game, really. But Scotland brought that over. And, uh, yeah, so poorly tech, maybe. But hopefully down the line we'll see and look back. Wow, that was a good, uh, good idea. Well, another one of those that's kind of interesting is yellow and red cards. Those weren't introduced until, the, the I believe, the 70s. And, you know, think about it. There have been there are clubs that were created in 1850, 1847 that play soccer, but there was no cards introduced until about 40 years ago. And we think and we look at it today or 50 years ago and we think about it today like it's not it's second nature. No one even questions yellow cards and red cards. So why is it something that like, you know what I mean? Like people might think, oh, maybe that was poorly thought out. And people probably at the time were pissed about yellow and red cards. Like what? I can get like sent off from a game or whatever. Like. Wow, we were probably a bunch of barbarians, dude. <laughs> yeah, but either way, it's 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 one of those things, right? We'll have to we'll have to see how the times go and and reflect on this in a couple years, and maybe even extra after it's been introduced and we see how it goes. So true. Keep an eye there. All right, B, you want to hit us with the next one? Yeah, man. So in the world of uh, high school sports, we're gonna we're gonna bring it into the United States um, in St. Louis, Missouri. A mother of a junior in high school is filing a federal lawsuit because her son did not make the varsity team. And um, I want to hear your thoughts first before I delve into it. This is absurd. Like, people have, like, the nerve to actually try to open a lawsuit over not making a team that the whole purpose of the team is to take the best players. How is it, like... On what grounds do you file this lawsuit? Like, is it because, like, is there an actual reason? Like, is there discrimination? Or was it just because little Jimmy was bad at soccer? So the woman's attorney said that the issue is age and sex discrimination because a rule from this high school is if you played junior varsity team, 
the year previously and you were a junior and you didn't make varsity, you could not go play JV, which to me was very interesting. And then um, the the lawyer quotes that the women's side of the high school, even if you don't make varsity, you can still play on JV. And uh, she believes, the mother believes her son was good enough to play on the JV team. And their lawyer also cited that they only have a squad of 19 kids on the JV team. So there was more, there's open positions for him to play. And uh, also they did a quick evaluation on the, the son's skills. And he was ranked 19 of all the 30 kids who tried out for the varsity team. I don't know where they got that info from, but very interesting. Huh. So... On one hand, it's like, dude, you just got to be able to play. But on the other hand, I mean, our high school, you could still be a junior and play JV. Um, but this team doesn't allow it. That seems very interesting. And I don't really know why they would do that. But I thought it was going to be – I thought you were going to bring up some news like they just ran – like little Jimmy wasn't good enough and his mommy got mad and didn't just put him and like try to open a lawsuit. But, I mean, I guess there's some stands here where she can kind of like – work on it yeah and put like a federal lawsuit yeah federal lawsuits kind of high but let me say that the school they go to is one of the more affluent places in uh illinois and um so the courtroom testimony also revealed that um there were seven other juniors cut from the jv team so maybe he just really wasn't that good yeah man this seems like it's way too much effort and way too much work for for something that seems very very minimal if they're in an affluent area Based on how the way that U.S. soccer is built right now, little mommy can go pay for him to play on a club team. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yes, I don't agree with the system, but that's how the system is right now. If mommy has money and little Jimmy didn't make the, the varsity slash JV team, go pay to put him on a club team. There's people all over the country oh, doing yeah. that right now. And, and you know what? It is what it is. Moving on to our next bit of news. Uh, recently in a game that Michael Jordan was in attendance for, actually, uh, there was a section of supporters at a PSG game that were actually protesting the Jordan collab. Um, we've we talked very highly about this, and, and all of the world's media has actually been clamoring and talking about how how like earth shattering this collab was, and how amazing it was for Jordan and PSG, mm -hmm. and everything looks amazing, and all this praise was being heaped on them. But then the supporters of the actual club that were that that are the ones who wear and and inspired the, this this uh that inspired this collab uh some of the supporters are not happy with this they're like we are a soccer club we don't play basketball why why is there a basketball brand and there was like a big banner in one of the sections that said that we don't play basketball um i just thought it was funny because it's the game that michael jordan's in attendance for and they're also protesting it um so i want to hear your thoughts on this protest and if you think that like it kind of makes sense you know, I hadn't really taken a, a look on the fans' perspective of this, especially the hardcore fans who bleed soccer. You know, we have this multicultural sport aspect here in the United States. So, like, the collaboration between two different sporting, like, venues, I guess, or brands for different sports doesn't really seem too much. Like, we've seen, like, Adidas sponsor hockey, and, like, they have so many different arms. But to see a purely basketball faced brand sponsor one of the if not the biggest team in, in france right now as for jerseys um 
yeah, I can see where they can be pretty pissed. I love the point you just made because it, it, for us, we have we have such a plethora of sports here in the U.S. and like it makes sense when sports collab and cross over, right? Like you see basketball players at soccer games and stuff like that in here in the U.S. But it doesn't seem like there isn't that level in Europe. So I can almost see where they're coming from to an extent because it's like we're not a PSG isn't a basketball team. No, and it's not you know for them in their minds it seems very far off and weird to do it. Whereas for us in the U.S., it might be very, very like natural, right? Um, but then again, I also think it's kind of silly. It's putting your it's putting your club even more so on the global stage. PSG were nothing 50 years ago. PSG was was literally like they're they're not one of these net, like traditional natural powerhouses exactly. in, in the vein of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, Bayern. You know these more traditional old school clubs. PSG is kind of a new boy on the scene, so. Having, you know, this Jordan collab just launch them into the stratosphere even more. It's just funny that people are kind of like upset about yeah, it. Yeah, no, we don't want that anymore. But like, I and I, I like where we're coming from. I think we're just more progressive in the stance of... Could be. <laughs> yeah, like, come on, get with the times, you old timers. But I will say it's kind of weird, though, to see a dude dunking a basketball as the logo for a brand that's on a soccer jersey. That's the part that I don't get. But then you got to remember that the Jordan brand went way past basketball a long time ago so true it's funny man it's it's funny and was was that collaboration with neymar before he went to psg the the, sh- the, the one from last year no no they, it started when he was at psg oh, okay he uh he got his i'm pretty sure it was it was last year right before right yeah i think so if, if not though please uh, let me let me do a little search Either way, I think that it started off very small with just a collab with Neymar. And then through that connection, they were able to launch that collab with PSG as a whole, um, which is very, very interesting to me. And then for our last little quick bit of news, I know we usually do three. We didn't do a fourth one real, real quick. Um, Speaking of Neymar's old team, Barcelona, they have just released a slight redesign to their badge. Um, that they still have to get approved by all of their by all of the members of the club. It ties really well into what we were talking about a couple episodes ago of club identity, and um, it seems like Barcelona have are just trying to modernize their crest just a bit because in reality, this this quote unquote redesign slash revamp isn't that different. All they're doing is taking out the letters FCB from the middle and to make it a more recognizable image overall with no words. Um, because in their mind, they probably don't need to tell people who they are if you just look at that crest. That's true. And, you know, after looking at it, it doesn't really seem like it's it's definitely min- minimalizing, I guess, like the, the text, obviously, and making it more of just like that, that classic badge. But I can see a lot of people not really digging it just because of that. That FCB was is really what kind of, I mean, I don't know, I feel like. Like as a kid, that would, that you grew up with that kind of thing, and like for most of the iterations of this, they had that text in that badge in some way, shape, or yeah. form. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see. Uh, I wouldn't. I'm not necessarily a fan of them removing the the letters because I think it, it it those are actually iconic. But at the same time, you know, we saw Juventus get rid of everything and go with that stylized J crest and it seems to be working for him and it's more identifiable i guess when you think about what a crest is supposed to be it's supposed to be a quick identifier of your club um yeah i don't know you guys listening out there if you have any strong thoughts on this one way or another send us a dm on instagram or we'd love to hear your thoughts yeah is less more or is more or less (laughs)
But alrighty, moving along to the main part of this podcast, what you came here for. This week, in honor of Luka Modric winning the FIFA The Best Award, we thought, why don't we sit down and talk about the Ballon d'Or slash the FIFA The Best Award? Um, because I know that there's a little bit of confusion on you know what these prizes are, what they mean, and kind of who decides these things. So I kind of want to do a little quick run through for everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know, even though it seems very self-explanatory, so the FIFA The Best Award is... A award that is awarded by FIFA, but it is decided by media representatives, national team coaches, national team captains, and also in 2016 they announced that the general public would be allowed to vote, and each of these groups get 25% of the vote. And they all voted to elect Luka Modric, the best player of the world, and he broke a streak that was held by Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi of 10 years of these guys having the best award. And aside from the FIFA, the best award, there's also the Ballon d'Or award, which is the more traditional award that a lot of uh, football fans quantify as basically the definitive best player in the world trophy. And the Ballon d'Or has been awarded since 1956. And it was, it's, it's run by the France football magazine. And it's the award is, is voted by football journalists. So, the idea is football journalists who watch the game day in and day out would be the ones to vote on the best player in the world. It seems to make sense. They're the ones who watch the most soccer, so it kind of makes sense. Um, but at the same time, um, like I said, the FIFA, the best award, is a new award. But back in 1991, uh, FIFA also had a different award called the FIFA World Player of the Year. And so... The Ballon d'Or and the FIFA World Player of the Year basically ran parallel to one another from 1991 until 2015. Um, and each of them kind of awarding what they felt was the best player in the world. Sometimes there was some overlap, sometimes there wasn't. But then what happened in 2010 was FIFA and the France Football Magazine came into an agreement and they merged the Ballon d'Or with the FIFA World Player of the Year, um, which a lot of people hated. Because it felt like, you know, seeing as all of the corruption stuff has come out of FIFA over the past few years, um, people were really against this because people genuinely love this award. They they hold, uh, they it becomes kind of law for footballing world. Like, who is the best player in the world is the one who wins this award. Yeah, so that was like the governing body. It's like the Ballon d'Or. That is, that is the top. Like, nothing else matters. Even right. in my head, still, I believe the Ballon d'Or. Of course, and we all kind of do. Uh, but when FIFA kind of took it over, it it felt very disingenuous, disingenuous, disingenuous. I I don't know words, but um, basically it felt like we th this corporation that we know is super corrupt is now trying to potentially push their own agenda by awarding this award to either Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. And we've said on the podcast before how I don't necessarily agree that they should have won. All of those years, I think that Andres Iniesta had a very good claim in 2010. I think that um, Wesley Schneider had a good claim in 2010, and there's a lot of years that there are players who should have won it and and didn't, right? But that's neither here nor there. And then this the award split again after 2015 to become again the Ballon d'Or and the FIFA the Best Award, um, and there are two separate awards once again. And so. Why is why is this important, right? Um, I think B and I touched on it a little bit. Is that for the footballing world, this is almost like sacred. This is what we view as like 
it's the highest individual honor a player can get in soccer, a sport that is 100% team-oriented, um, which begs the question, should this award even exist? In a team sport, does it really matter who the best individual player is? Having this award allows players who are clearly top class, who can play both individually and for their team as a unit, to be able to shine above that and to, to be known as a person who you can always give the ball to and always kind of trust to know that they're going to do something well with the ball is, I think, a justifiable award. And it's interesting because, as we saw with this year, you may not agree with uh, Luka Modric winning the FIFA The Best Award, but it's that thing, right? Luka Modric was absolutely instrumental in every single one of those Champions League wins for Real Madrid over the last three years. Uh, he was at the heartbeat of everything that Real Madrid do. So in a in a in a world like we said, in a sport that is so team focused, there's eleven players. It's not like I don't equate it necessarily to say basketball where. There's only five players on the court, so one player has a, a huge burden to shoulder alone. Yep. Um, in soccer, it's very different. Everybody has their part to play. It's not like one position is more important than the other, despite the fact that um, these awards do generally skew more towards forwards because they have a, a, a statistical number that they can like look at. Right? Yeah. And, and to give you an idea, I think there's only ever been one defender to win the, the Ballon d'Or, and that was... Uh, Fabio Cannavaro. So in the instance of Luka Modric, it was a way for Luka Modric to get recognized because in a team full of superstars where everybody else has a bigger social media presence on that Real Madrid team, you have, you know, Sergio Ramos, Marcelo, Cristiano Ronaldo, all of these players that are always talked about. It seems like Luka Modric kind of flew under the radar, despite the fact that he was the one at, at the heart of everything Real Madrid do. And also, he was at the heart of everything that Croatia did in the World Cup. And as we saw, he played three back-to-back 120-minute games for Croatia in that World Cup final run. And he was everywhere. He was playing multiple positions for Croatia. And this guy was absolutely had the like an absurd season. Um, so for him, it was recognition of all of that in this award. So I do think it should exist. And please forgive me if I'm mistaken here. It's only meant for the European teams, right? It's not. It doesn't quantify how you do in the World Cup. No, it does. It does it's quantify that every, as well. Every, it's for every today aspect. It's every aspect of the world game. Okay, which is a good clarification, right? Because a lot of people think maybe this is just for club competitions. No, this is an award that is be every soccer that's played on the planet from every level is is in theory up for grabs here. It, it's in play here. Okay, um, and so. My my next question is: Does the winner of these awards matter? Like, does it matter who the best player in the world is? Um, because you've had instances where, you know, because it is a team sport, and you know, Real Madrid won the Champions League, which is is essentially right now like the holy grail of club soccer. It's the mm-hmm. highest award you could win. Does it matter who the best individual player is? I think we've kind of already touched upon that as well. But it makes those players who are striving to be the best something. Like a, a goal to achieve, I guess. Yeah. So like it, it, although they are playing for their team, there is also that extra motivation to if I play as this team and I am pivotal, maybe I can be recognized in my position as myself as one of the best, if not the best player in the world. So I think, although it's not necessarily needed, but 
as if I were a player, it'd be something really cool to try to achieve. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that as players, they always are striving to be the best and they, everybody wants to be the best player ever. So to be able to be awarded something that says, hey, here you go, you are the best player ever, feel pretty great. So in that aspect, I think it is necessary. And at the same time, uh, having conversations about who the best player is and analyzing players, I think is is already enough reason for it to exist because I think that, yes, it's a team game, but individuals make up the team and not every player is the same. Um, So being able to objectively look at these players and analyze them is very important overall. And it's not like they weren't going to analyze it already. You know, even if there wasn't these awards, there would still be those journalists critiquing every single player. And then those players would still know, but now it gives the journalists and just more of the people around the world different aspects to look at so players are now going to expand even more upon their game i think potentially yeah like you said no matter what happens people were still going to look at the players people were still going to analyze them so to have a formalized award seems justifiable and it seems per it seems right um but i think one of the biggest issues that people still tend to have with this is that are these awards truly objective right um because as we've as we've touched upon a lot of people do kind of criticize the fact that there has been this kind of monopoly over the award between Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. I'm not saying that these two players aren't aren't the best two players in the world, mm-hmm. but this is the the award by its definition is for the player that has had the best season yeah. over the last 12 months or whatever it is. It's not the what people would consider to be the best player at the time. It's about production, right? So you know, some people it depends. It's a, it's it's hard to 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 think about, but um, and, and the other issue with this is that a lot of players, especially in the FIFA the best category, where where you, they they take that vote from national team coaches and national team captains, you have players who are captains of the national team who are gonna vote for their friends. You yeah, know what I mean, you have a lot of instances where captains of national teams are like, all right, I'm going to vote for me, my buddy, John and Billy, who plays right wing for us over here in, in Barbados. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Every national team will get a vote. So is it actually object? Like, is it can it ever truly be objective? Because I think that the system they have in place is good. But at the same time, there seems to be that problem of people voting for buddies, people voting for friends. Of course, it's not everybody. But is there a way to make it objective? I think the only closest way you could make it objective was keep it just within the journalistic community. Because, I mean, yeah, granted, but even then, it's like, well, some journalists like other teams and other players more than other people. So, you know, I honestly, after those points you've made, I don't think it is possible to make this objective. And it's hard, right? Because if you left it up to just the journalists, the journalists of certain countries might push the players who play in their country more so than, you know, players who don't play in their country. Um, to push an agenda, right? Because let's say, you know, at the time, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi both played in Spain. The Spanish journalists, they probably all voted for one or the other. And so it really just was a matter of like, potentially, I'm not saying all of them, because journalists are technically supposed to be, you know, completely objective, especially because they are journalists. But we know that's not true. We know that there is bias and we know that there are people who do push agendas. So I don't think it could ever necessarily get objective. Um, but at the same time, I think that by having by having two awards be decided like differently, 
I think is a good way to to kind of compare and contrast. True. What do you think about that? I think that's a I, that's an interesting idea because if you have the say we keep one way with the status quo, right? The, the all those players, coaches, international captains, those get they get their votes. But then there's also say I don't know like an algorithm or some just quantifiable data that they can just analyze and like say, I mean, granted it would be it'd be a bummer because it would obviously be the best player who gets the most points and everything like that. But now the problem with that is like a lot of people would call for that because people love statistical analysis. They love numbers. Now the problem is how do you quantify the best player in the world when you can't judge defenders, midfielders and forwards the same way? That's true. You know what I mean? Like what are you going to do? Count up however many saves a goalkeeper makes and add that as a point. But what about the movements that a goalkeeper makes to take a player off of his game? True. This isn't necessarily basketball. Like this isn't like basketball yeah. where you can look at how many points scored, assists scored, blocks. Like there's certain things in soccer that there's no way for you to quantify that off the ball run that a player makes that puts him in position to make that goal. How do you quantify that run? Yeah. Or even just being able to play 120 minutes each game for those that that stretch, you know. Right. How do you and how do you quantify? Like, are you going to quantify how many clearances a defender makes? Some people argue that that's not necessarily good defending. You know, that's true. It, it, there's, I don't think that there's a statistical way to approach these awards based on the fact that a lot of people they a lot of people used goals and assist tallies as their main voting factor. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have you know you have defenders who 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 are phenomenal they're they're the, some of these best players in the world but you can't quantify that versus the goal return of Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi that's true and it's where I think FIFA have done a decent job about it with the uh, FIFA Pro Best 11 um, because while yes you still have the uh, Ballon d'Or and the FIFA the best award for the best player in the world the FIFA Pro uh, Best 11 is essentially the best 11 players on the planet um, and so why I like that is it shows recognition to players who aren't forwards. You know what I mean? You have the ability to, to give the defender that, that recognition. Um, and those are also voted on by players, uh, and and journalists and stuff like that. Um, and just a quick, I'll give the quick names for the 2018. We had David De Gea, Danny Alves, Marcelo, Sergio Ramos, Rafael Varney, Eden Hazard, Nogolo Conte. My my pronunciation with these is so bad, dude. Luka Modric, Cristiano Ronaldo, 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 Ronaldo. Uh, Kylian Mbappe, and Lionel Messi. So yeah, I think that's that's that is definitely one way to to help out, kind of recognize all eleven players. We had a very interesting case this year where FIFA awarded. Thibaut Courtois, the best goalkeeper on the planet. But then in the FIFA Pro, in the FIFA Pro 11, David De Gea is the goalkeeper. So you have this very interesting uh, incident here, um, which I don't necessarily hate because I don't think it matters which one of the two is better. I think that both are phenomenal goalkeepers. I think that the recognition that each one, by, by in other words, by having both of these guys uh awarded in some way it shows that the two were the best goalkeepers on the planet last year mm-hmm. of course you know Thibaut Courtois had a much better world cup than David De Gea did so I'm sure that weighed a little bit more but either way I just think that uh it was it's really interesting that both of them get recognition and it's actually good that both of them get that recognition um yeah it is because it kind of shows that like 
it's not like imagine if you got the best goalkeeper and you were in that 11 like there there has to be other aspects that other goalkeepers were doing better and had like you said a better world cup so like i think that is a good addition to like seeing that i guess yeah and and the whole point that i'm trying to make with what i with all of this that i'm just saying is that you know there's way too many players on this planet you know what i mean and sometimes it's just so difficult for you to pick the absolute best in a certain category right and so, you know, what I'm trying to say is I think that both Thibaut Courtois and David De Gea deserved some recognition. So by awarding them, you know, each an award like this, it does kind of capture that. So B, to wrap this up, my final question to you is, do you think there should be two awards? Should there be an objective one done by a magazine and also one that's done by FIFA? Um, we did touch upon a few different points throughout our conversation today about you know, the pros and cons of having two awards. And we've seen that uh, FIFA thought that it was really, FIFA thought it was best to have just one award, which is why for about six years, these two awards merge. But now that they are two again, I think a good question to kind of end on is, do we think that both awards need to exist? You know, I think, I think they do. I think they allow two perspectives in the world to kind of, put forth who they believe is best and yeah so when they merged it it was almost as if like you lost a different perspective um and i agree with you i think that by having both awards be and especially because they're decided in slightly different ways i think it makes for a really good and interesting analysis of who is the best player in the world right so for example let's use this year as an example right if for example cristiano ronaldo wins the ballon d'or that's voted on by just the media now you get to kind of compare and contrast the Luka Modric uh, winning the FIFA the best with Cristiano Ronaldo winning the Ballon d'Or or whoever wins this Ballon d'Or, right? I think it would be, are either technically wrong? I don't think you can say. In my opinion, the award should be between either one of the two. Of the two. Based on just the individual efforts that Luka Modric has produced, I am 100% supportive of him winning a world best player award. But at the same time, Cristiano Ronaldo... Is Cristiano Ronaldo. He won his, you know, his fifth Champions League title. Um, and it, it, it's just absurd. The guy was a machine. And so, objectively, I don't think that you could say which one was better than the other, considering both were super instrumental in Real Madrid's Champions League win. Um, but Luka Modric more so on the World Cup side. P- Portugal struggled, didn't get far, but Croatia made it to the World Cup final. So... I think that by having both awards, and if in hypothesis, right, Cristiano Ronaldo wins the Ballon d'Or, you'll be able to analyze this, uh, the best player in the world conversation from two different angles, right? Yeah. Um, and it gives you something quantifiable to kind of look at. And you can go, oh, Baluka Modric won the FIFA the best. Oh, Cristiano Ronaldo won the Ballon d'Or. Like, which one uh, m- matters more? I don't think it's a matter of which one matters more. I think it's a matter of a different perspective. Yeah, I totally agree. 100%.